Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. 
Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Amelia Antonetti, and I uh, bring you the Genius Hour every Friday from nine, 8 to 9. Oh, my God, I don't know how my time zone drives from 8 to 9 Eastern. Um, and welcome my two trainers with me. Oh, actually, right? I, no, actually, it's three. Uh, hello, Mr. Randy Jones. Good morning. Hello, hello. And we've got Mr. Sean James. Good morning. And Mr. Mark MK. Hello, gentlemen. I am so excited today. Um, this is going to be so much fun. Randy, you want to take the lead on the intro? I am. Um, I'm over here and I'm, I'm just I'm 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 ready to go. We, we, this is like meeting my sister from another mother. So go for you, it. The fact that I have any role in my life at all. And in introducing Eartha Kitt's daughter is one of the biggest shocks ever. I am such a huge Eartha Kitt fan, and if you don't know who she is, that's okay. There's a couple of things you do. You can Google her real quick, or Kit Shapiro, her daughter, and I are going to chat a lot about her mother, what she's learned from her mother. I, I have to tell the story, as I didn't really know. We were I've always been an Eartha Kitt fan, an incredible vocalist, uh, 50s and the 60s and 70s. I mean, really worked her entire life internationally, became just a huge star all over the world. And I found out she had this daughter many years ago named Kit Shapiro. She named her daughter after herself, her last name, Kit Shapiro. And I went on, you know, a social media platform, found Kit, and just wrote her a note and said, we love your mom. Uh, we listen to her all the time. You know, thank you. We knew that you lost your mom in 2008. Kit wrote this lovely, lovely note back. We were introduced a few years ago. She's appeared on my podcast since then. I'm so honored to bring her here today. And, and but, Randy, how, how it, the gods at work, look at the headline for Breakfast of Champions today, right? How, how amazing that it just lined up, right? Said, who's the greatest impact in your life? And I love when those serendipitous moments happen. So, so sorry to interrupt, but I was just like, I love these little moments. I, it, well, it, it's just, and Kit is here today. She wrote a book, uh, Eartha and Kit, about her life with her mother. We're going to talk about that. It is not Mommy Dearest, if you understand that reference. This book is a love story. I feel like I had a relationship with this book. It made me feel good. It made me learn. And Kit, welcome. I'm thrilled to be hosting you again. Well, thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm so excited. And I've been listening and I'm in, now I'm really inspired. And I feel like uh, you know, I'm ready to, to make my mark on the world today. Well, you've made your mark on me. And what I want you to do to help us start, can you help Can you help me introduce your mother to uh, remind people who have heard of her and to people who may not know who she is? That's good. We're here to talk about her legacy and continue to make sure people understand uh, Arthur's life and her impact. Help me introduce your mom. Well, my mother was um, kind of a multifaceted entertainer with a very unique uh, vocal quality. Uh, she came on the scene in the early 1950s uh, with the song Santa Baby that is still to this day and coming up now in the season, the holiday season, you'll hear it. Uh, the song was actually written for my mother back in um, 1953 was it first released. Um, and then she went on to have a career in film and uh, most notably in television as uh, Catwoman on the television series Batman, and her career took her, you know, 
around the world and through numerous um, avenues. And she authored uh, several autobiographies. She was, as I mentioned, um, on, in television and film. She performed in film with Sammy Davis Jr. and Nat King Cole and Cab Calloway. Um, and then she also went on and in her later years to be the voice of um, Yzma in the Disney um, animated uh, feature film, uh, The Emperor's New Groove, and then also on the Disney television series, The Emperor's New School, where she won three, um, two Emmy Awards for that character. So it's, it's pretty incredible. She had an amazing um, span, career span from the early 50s to, you know, she died in 2008. Her last performance was two months, three months before she died with the Virginia Symphony. And she died at the age of 81, unfortunately, of colon cancer, which I know you know this. I speak um, for the Colon Cancer Alliance on the uh, importance of early detection um, because colon cancer is luckily one of those cancers that is treatable and beatable if caught early enough. Um, in my mother's case, unfortunately, it was not. But uh, um, here to, to to help people learn about the person my mother was beyond what you see on the screen and on the stage, um, because she truly was uh, her name uh, of the uh, earth, uh, and she was of the earth and connected to the universe and and our world in a way that I don't I don't think many many understand from the earth. What I'm fascinated by is that it's truly a classic rags to riches story, but almost even more impactful than most, because unfortunately she was given up by her mother, given to other, I guess, what family members correctly, who abused her, shifted to yet another family member who essentially emotionally practically ignored her. Yet she managed to overcome three living scenarios as a child and become world famous in her 20s. Well, I think, so So, just a, a small clarification, the, the family that she was given to in the South, uh, she was born in a little town um, in Columbia County, in Orangeburg County, um, South Carolina, um, called North South Carolina, and the, the family that she was given to was not, were not blood relatives. Um, she re did refer to the Royal family. Okay, okay, I wasn't sure yeah, about that. Okay. Right. She wasn't, yeah. a, she wasn't a blood relative, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, my mother's ability, uh, her survival instinct uh, was truly just, you know, genetic. I, I mean, when I look at her, what she endured throughout her life, now she was born, as I just mentioned, in the South, 1927. Um, she never knew the identity of her father. It is assumed, um, if, you, if you've seen pictures of my mother, my mother is a sort of, she would have described herself as cafe au lait. Um, you know, color, skin. Um, so the assumption was at the time that her father was probably white, most likely the son or, or relative of the owners of the plantation um, that my mother's family lived on. They were sharecroppers. They were cotton, um, cotton pickers, as my mother always said. I was just a cotton picker from the South, and she truly felt that way. Uh, in a positive way, not in that she wasn't even saying that derog in a derogatory way. She always uh, held high regard for, for the learning that she had in the fields, in the cotton fields of picking cotton and what, a, what, a, what that really does. In, in the previous hour, they mentioned, you know, selling meat out of a truck. And, you know, my mother would talk about, would talk about how 
hard it is to pick a pound of cotton. And, you know, cotton, which I don't know if many people realize, is, is sharp. The, the top edges of the cotton are sharp. And so she would often talk about how, you know, you, you, your fingers would be bloody when you can't deliver cotton, you know, you know to, to the... To, to, you know, at the end of the day, that's all, you know, blood, bloody. So she you had to be really careful, and it was backbreaking work. And that foundation she carried into her entire life, and, and that work ethic, which we talked with you guys, were talk, which they were talking about earlier, that work ethic is what stuck with her and what she understood was really, really important. You have to work your butt off, um, and you have to love what you do, and she did. I think that her ability to survive what she with the abuse and you, you mentioned that a little bit, Randy, unfortunately, um, because of her heritage, you know, the circumstances to which she was born into, that she, uh, she was uh, she didn't know the, the, the identity of her father and her skin was lighter toned than the people in her community. She was referred to as a yellow gal, um, which is a, a, a term that's known in the South. Um, and she was horribly treated because of that. And when her mother went to marry a, a man, um, a black man who had children already, he said to her, her, to my mother's mother, I will not have that yellow gal living in my house. And so that is when my, her mother had to give her up um, and had to find a, a family that was willing to take her, which was not an easy thing to do at that time, and found this family um, Aunt Rosa and her family, um, who were willing to take on my mother. Uh, unfortunately, they took her on. They they, they housed her, but they abused her physically, sexually, emotionally. Um, and she talked about that numerous times throughout her books and her life. Um, again, my mother would say, have said, you know, she used all of the manure that had been thrown on her as fertilizer. So she took all of these these situations that were horrifying and she built on them and she built that strength that inner strength that she had to overcome and survive and thrive throughout her life i i have to tell you i know you call them criticism there's so many fabulous quotes you have a business now simply eartha which honors your mother which you take so many of these criticisms and you have created them in jewelry clothing things like that to really honor her through that which i think is such a cool way to honor your parent, but I have to say that I have taken all the manure that has been thrown at me and used it as fertilizer is absolutely my favorite of all of them. I mean, I think so many people can relate to that, right? And and if we are able to take, uh, you know, my mother would say she couldn't change her past. I mean, there's nothing she could do. She was a child. She was an infant and a child, and and she can't. She had no control over the adults in her life. She didn't understand how you could mistreat a child uh, or anybody but especially a little a little kid just because the color of their skin and the circumstances of their birth that be and that again she she took as as made her a, a trailblazer and a fighter for those who who didn't necessarily have a public voice uh, throughout her life she she really stood up for the underdog um because she from those from that feeling from those moments of how you you know some watching and being the victim of adults you know, treating somebody differently because they didn't look the quote-unquote the part um, of t that you know she didn't understand that that to her was just uh, I, uh, basic the, common but, sense about about human about how, you know human beings and treating each other with kindness and empathy. 
you know, but we, it, this is Amelia, you know, but we talk so often about this unbelievable uh, fortitude and, you know, work ethic that drives, you know, these un- incredible, you know, game changers, right? That, that, it, that it's deep down inside them, the mindset to tr- transform um, Cora into the uh, opportunity to just persevere. Um, and I think that that comes out so, so, so greatly. Um, you know, I, like I said, when I was reading your book, what I found so many different things in alignment. My, I, I lived in Georgia. Um, my father thought it was a great idea for us kids to pick cotton for the summer. Um, he really wanted to drive home for us, um, you know, the difference between, you know, mental work versus physical work. And I will tell you, I had like no fingerprints. It was, mm-hmm. it was grueling. It was the, the hardest. And I've done a lot of jobs, but nothing nothing like that in the heat bent over and just literally your fingers all the way through your nails, just bleeding to death. And so it's just, you know, the fact that she transformed that into such power um, to have that as a role model um, in your parents is, is incredible. It really was incredible. And, And I want to say that because, I mean, there are many people, we hear stories every single day about these, these people who have taken, you know, horrible situations and have overcome it and have been able to persevere and, and, and thrive incredibly. And I, I do think there's something innate. There's, there's either, there's a, there's a difference and maybe there's a, there's brain, you know, move, you know, that's different something, or it's in, you know, it's just in their heart or in their soul. But I think you're, you're, on some level, you're born with that ability um, to overcome, especially at a very young age, as my mother was. And and the, her willingness to share, because even though she overcame and became a very successful outside, you know, to, to, the, to the public. Hey, listeners, if you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five, five simple steps to an extraordinary morning. If you can transform your morning, you can transform your life. Head on over to themorningfive.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day. Human being, she, she didn't let go of that pain. Um, and sometimes that pain was haunting to her. And sometimes, you know, you often saw when she would recount those stories, it was very, very present and real right there. She was able to, to grapple, grapple it instantly. But she felt that, that you don't want to bury those feelings because the, you want to remember that because it's constantly that, rem- that memory that what keeps you moving forward as you get further away from those circumstances and you maybe become very successful, but yet you have to be able to, to use those moments uh, as, as your con- continuous, you know, movement to, you know, to help you move forward. And how, and did I, she, how did she transfer her knowledge to you? Right. So obviously she broke a big cycle and she stepped out into an amazing, amazing leadership role, but how did she transfer the wisdom to you? I mean, she spoke about it. She was very open. I mean, A, I heard her talk often, you know, in interviews and to other people, because people would often ask her about her past and, and you know, and what she endured, because it is a rags-to-riches story. Um, but she was also really good at, she was an incredible teacher in every moment of, of, of life. And, and I think that some of that was because when she lived in the South and she was really left 
you know, on her own a lot. And she was treated so badly by humans that she would go into the woods, as she would say, and she would watch nature and she would observe animal behavior. And instinctively, she would she tra- you know she took a lot of that internally and learned from that. So when there were moments in our lives, as when I was a little tiny girl, uh, that I remember her sharing um, teachings without necessarily being teachings. One particular one, and I do talk about this in the book. We we lived in in, in Beverly Hills, California, and we had. But my mother was very much a part of the earth, as I mentioned, and she wanted. She had a vegetable garden, and we had chickens. I mean, I, I refer to her as being the original Beverly Hillbilly. I mean, she really was all about. <laughs> you know, you you had to you, you, you eat what comes out of the earth. You eat what's what's uh, in, in season, and you nurture the the soil and the environment because when you put good stuff back into it, it give, you know you reap the benefits of it. There was, you know, I would sit in the vegetable garden with her as she would tend because she was very hands-on. And I would, you know, do my own little thing in the corner as little kids do and digging in the dirt and everything. And I remember looking at snails and slugs. And I, I remember talking to her and saying that the slug was really ugly. And you have, it's like, you know, a little kid, it's like, ew, mommy, you got to, you know, kill that, get rid of it. And she would say to me, you don't have to like it, but you do not have the right to kill it just because you don't like the way it looks. And I remember as, you know, now as I'm a parent and I, you know, I'm a much older and, and I, I think what kind of an impact that has on a little tiny kid. You're taking a slug. I mean, none of us, we, I think we can all agree slugs are not exactly the most attractive creatures. But the fact that my mother was able to teach this, you know, this little toddler that you have to respect everything, even if you don't like the way it looks. And how you translate that as a child into how you treat not only nature, but how you treat human beings. And I think those were the lessons that, you know, that were so powerful that, you know, maybe she realized it, that she was being that, you know, that profound um, and that impactful, but I'm not sure that she did. I think that was really just who she was. One, Kit, I had an opportunity. Well, thank you for <laughs> texting with me. I'm finishing the book this week and had such an experience with it. was so emotional because I lost my mother a year and a half ago. And for one thing, it taught me that I have not processed that yet um, mm. to the extent because I lost her early in COVID, had to attend the funeral on Facebook Live, wasn't there, yeah. uh, didn't really. I'm and so, so your journey just, you know, honoring your mother has actually helped me to realize the additional steps that I still need to take to honor mine, which I thank you so much for that. But I also think this is an observation, and I'm curious what if you agree, to say she's a survivor. She picked herself up by her bootstraps. There's all, we talk about this kind of person all the time. Here is, to me, what is different about your mom, which makes, to, to me, special reading this book. She always wanted to learn. You traveled the world. Most people don't take the time to get the world view that your mother got and gave you. Literally traveled the world and the stories of where do you buy your food? Going out to the cab driver in some foreign country, where do you buy your food? Going to where the people are, talking to the people, understanding cultures, who they were, what they were about. I think as soon as you that's something so 
profoundly unique an opportunity she had that you had that I'm never going to have. Right. And you I think that's part of that. I think that's part of what she's to me, she became so profoundly special. And you said it really as a teacher. Yes. But I want to say to you, now, you know, and, and I, as I mentioned earlier, I, mean, I grew up in Beverly Hills, California, and my mother, you know, was internationally famous. And because of that, we were blessed enough to be able to travel the world. As you mentioned, my mother felt it was really, really important when you, when you travel to, under, to learn the, about the people, the communities that you are in, um, the countries that you are in. That to learn their um, their their social mores, to learn their beliefs, to learn their you know their religious um, traditions, um, their social traditions, and and the reason that she felt that way be was because when we learn about each other, we have an, a different understanding and hopefully respect for our differences, and then we are able to accept the fact that we're all different and embrace that. And allow each other to that we all live on this very tiny planet, and you know we're we're all entitled to be here as the slug and the snail are entitled to be you know have their presence known as well. And they, we all have a role and we all have a right to be here. Now that being said, not everybody is able to travel the world as you just said. You may not be able to travel the world, but you certainly can travel your neighborhood. You can certainly learn what your how what your your neighbor's differences. It doesn't mean my mother didn't feel we have to love each other. She felt we have to respect and accept that we're all different and that you may be living next door to me and you may look different and you may have different beliefs and different uh, traditions and different religions, but that yours are just as important to you as mine are to mine and that I need to respect that. I don't have to take them on as my own. But I need to respect you, and the only way to do that is to sort of understand and, and and ask and talk to you and listen and and be willing to you know just to, to talk and have and have these conversations. My mother loved the art of conversation, so I don't know how or why she she understood this this human connection, how necessary it is. Um, but that's truly who she was, and I think that that's why to me sharing who she was as a human being and you mentioned earlier it's not a mommy dearest group this is not yep. about that um it is really about showing people this incredibly this incredible person who comes from you know this little this little town this cotton you know farmers and sharecroppers town in, in, in north south carolina as is able to take what she learned from from the treatment the mistreatment as well as from the kindness that she saw people give, as well as from nature and, and, and animals, and t combine all that and share that with the people who, who whose lives she was able to touch. And I think I mean, that's why this book, to me, is so important. She was grounded. Her name is Eartha Kitt, which was ironic. She would have a name that would suit her so well uh, with her commitment to the environment, to the world, to the earth. She is literally grounded, but the other thing that I'm big on that I loved was her focus on manners, her focus on etiquette. I will tell you, I called Peggy Post from the Emily Post Institute yesterday, and I said, you have to read this book, and we're getting this book in Peggy Post's hands, because I was so, so thrilled to see Eartha's focus. You talked about the respect aspect. 
but then you just bring in the manners aspect, well, and that's an offshoot, which was so important, and I love so much about your mom. And that's exactly what she felt. She felt that manners are part of respect. It's not only respect for each other, but it's respect for yourself. And when you have proper manners and you and you and you treat each other with with kindness, because manners are often you know based in in being kind, even if they're not necessarily re- felt you know really felt. Um, but that's okay. It's okay to you know you don't have to to like or love the person. You still have to be kind to them and say thank you and please and smile and uh, there's no re- being rude is is my mother really felt was so incredibly disrespectful to the person and to you also to yourself and that none of us deserve uh, to be you know to have rudeness. Um, now stupidity was something she didn't tolerate. <laughs> you know it, you, because as you mentioned, she felt you always can learn. It, even if you don't have the ability to to have education, you can go to a library. My mother didn't. My mother never finished high school, um, but she would, was an avid reader. Uh, she read. You know, she would go to the library. She would read the dictionary because that's how you learned how to pronounce words. If you you know if you read the the definitions, um, that's how you your your vocabulary became you know bigger. Uh, she also felt that you you speak clearly and you learn how to enunciate words now a lot of this has to do with the era that you know she lived and and we were all you know i was born into and and i think randy you and i are a similar age that we're born into yeah um, absolutely and, and i yep. and i i think that you know we've, we've, some of that's been lost but uh it doesn't it doesn't have to be you can always be you know learning um my mother felt that if you worked whatever industry you worked in don't just learn your own job you know, be be curious. Learn what other people are doing as well. Um, to, for her, if if she was performing in a in a in a dance company or in a show, my mother learned how. Uh, you know, she learned other people's parts. She learned um how to sew costumes. She learned how to you know maybe make something. Because she said, you know, I may not always be able to to sing or dance. What if I what if I can't do that anymore? I might have to do something else. So I should be multifaceted. Um, you know, to cover my bases. And I think and that, can, you know, humans have that ability and we should take advantage of that. You know, and can, one of the things that you, I really want to drive home, you know, when you're talking about manners, which is actually a dying art, um, is, you know, as a behaviorist, you know, manners are intended to continue to invite the conversation, right? It, it mentally keeps you in a state of flow. We talk a lot about that in Breakfast of Champions, you know, mindset and how mindset impacts everything. People forget, you know, that when you are, let's just use the word rude, you cut off that flow, right? You stop the conversation in its track. And so the manners is what allows you to give yourself a momentary pause to get your brain to catch up, to keep the flow going, right? To continue on and open up that space to actually learn. So as a behaviorist, I love the fact um, that, you know, she, she perfected a craft and then taught it. It's unfortunate. You know, I deal with a lot of the younger people now who, you know, are constantly feeling stuck. They don't know how to get from one soundbite to another or from one act to another. And I'm always, that's what I did at, at Glenn's event was I talked about how to move from the state of pain into the state of gain and words help do that for you. And so manners are a massive, massive tool to facilitate the shift into the state of gain and flow. 
Wow, I love that you say that because that is you just you you just painted such an incredibly incredible visual picture for me of of the woman that my mother was and 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 how important that something at what seems to be I mean we, is it now a dying art unfortunately but it also seems to be so simplistic um, and and maybe in some levels I know my even my children it's you know so unnecessary quote unquote they always like who needs to do that but it you're right it it keeps when we when we are rude, we completely cut off. We we slam a door in in a stranger's face or or somebody that we know's face, whatever whoever that person may be, and you don't want nobody who wants to who wants to engage with that at all. But when you see when you, you just the art of smiling, right? I mean, I always say every day, you know, smile. It might change somebody's life. That may be your own life. It might just make your day a better day because when you smile, probably somebody's going to smile back. When you're kind. You're probably going to get, you know, re we're probably going to re re uh, receive some kindness. My mother felt that when you walked into a room, that when you carry yourself a certain way and you and you open yourself up with kindness, you have the, you you receive a different level of treatment. You know, this is coming from a woman who was terribly terribly mistreated, and out of her control. It didn't matter as a little girl if she had been, you know, the sweetest nicest thing. They were abusing her anyway and a woman of color um so you know you had that aspect that she wasn't going to receive you know a level of respect or treatment in the in the outside white world uh but that didn't change how she felt what she felt was important because on some level she said you are going to going to be able to to crack open somebody if you if you know kindness someone's going to treat you differently because you present yourself uh, with with re your own respect for yourself and respect for them as well. And that starts from, you know, a, a very, very core, core belief, right? You either believe the entire world is out to conspire against you, or you believe that the entire world is out there to help you facilitate what you're here to do, right? So it starts with that belief system. And so kindness is the gateway to say, I really believe you're here to connect and to rise, to, you know, together. I say, oh, together, you know, we rise together in our genius, right? But if you believe that people are for good, then it's easy to lean in with kindness first. But if you think that people are here for bad, then that's where you get, you know, bitter, angry, defensive, all those other things. And you have to start with that. So the fact that she started every thought with kindness, you know, really speaks to her character because she had released from the outcomes that happened in her child, right? She had moved past it. And it really just showed those the level of her emotional intelligence and i want to well, introduce you to sean sean who's right above above us here uh he works a lot in anti-bullying and and a lot in the space i just want to make sure sean that uh if you want to jump into this conversation yeah, I know this mk's is here as well yeah. you know mk is a unbelievable writer and musician and writes about a lot of this stuff so i just want to round out the conversation kit so you can hear from some of the other perspectives mm -hmm. people who yeah. are also working <clears throat> in your work Kid, it's a pleasure. Um, I'm just listening to your cadence, and it's amazing because I know so much about your mother. I'm obviously um, a little bit younger than you, but I, I was I'm old enough to know her as an actress. And I think one of the most famous lines is her saying "Marcus" in in Boomerang. When people, if anyone knows Eddie Murphy, and you heard your mother say Marcus, it sticks in your head forever. Um, but what I'd love to talk about is I'm a biracial child as well. And uh, 
when you were making references of high yellow and light skin and, and all those things, um, it's, it's really a culture within a culture with the black community of just understanding what colorism is and how that works and how we navigate. Um, and I love the fact that, <clears throat> you know, when we talk about kindness, it's a mimic behavior. It's something that, you know, you either come from it and obviously you mimic the behavior of your mother. Um, you hear it in your voice. Um, it seems that you were not only your mother's child, but you were a fan of your mom. And you can just hear that in your cadence of how much respect that you had. My question is this, um, not only do you carry her name, I'd love to know why she named you Kit, um, and it being her last name, but um, i also love to know um, the, your entitlements of growing up in Beverly Hills, if there were any, and, you know, when I looked at your skin, um, you know, were, were people questioning, you know, if you were black um, and what that felt like? And, and how your mother navigated that. Um, obviously, when I think of um, kindness, I think of awareness. Uh, it seems that your mother had so much awareness of all the things that were moving around her. And um, I'd love to just kind of get your insight because when I hear you speak, I, it's like this, this woman was a student and a fan of her mother. And she's, she, she, she just, she, um, you, you just you display that in every aspect of how you speak um, and it's such a way um, that I you know as an educator and as a former NFL player um, I try to make sure that when I'm around people that it's not phony and my kindness is not being nice it's authentic mm -hmm. and I'd love to just hear more about that thank you wow so there's a, there's so many things you touched on there um, huh. I I get to ask I was born in 1961. I'm about to turn 60 years old. Um, how'd that happen? I don't know. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I get to this day of people, now obviously social media has made it very easy for people to be trolled and, and disrespectful. But I get to this day people saying to me that you can't possibly be her biological child. Um, she clearly lied to you and you're obviously adopted because you, you're just, you know, a woman of color couldn't have a, a child who looks as uh, maybe Caucasian, for lack of a better word, um, uh, as I as I do. Now that being said, I can't control genetics. Genetics are amazing, <laughs> crazy, crazy thing. Um, I am absolutely my mother's biological child, and if you can, if people would take a moment and look past the hair color and the skin color, you would be able to see how much I actually do resemble my mother. Um, my mother loved the fact that she gave birth to this mutt. I think that she, and she often said this, she would say to me, you're, you're like a walking United Nations. You either break every rule or you fill every quota. Um, and I think to her, that was, was sort of, was an important thing because she felt that, you know, the more we can, the more we... Her, her, her hope was the more we could get past this, this thing about being either black or white or what, you know, yellow, whatever color you want to make, you want to claim people. Um, the more we can get past that, the, the one less thing we can fight over or tr mistreat each other because of. Um, there's absolutely nothing any of us can do about the way that we, the, the color that we're born, the color of our skin when we were at birth. 
we, there's nothing we can do about that. We're born, we're who we are. It doesn't change our insides. I think we've all seen, we all should know that the ignorance that is, still exists is, I think, pathetic. Um, I would love to see everybody have some type of DNA testing and see what they would, who they actually are at birth so that we can all see that we are, very few of us are 99% anything. Um, we are all, you know, mixed and we should be able to get past this ridiculous issue of treating people uh, differently because their skin color is different. My mother raised me that way. She was treated very differently. I obviously was treated differently. There was nothing I could be I could do about that. By the time my mother was born, I by the time I was born, my mother was already a famous person. Um, and people are more impressed with celebrity status and fame than they are worried about, you know, a, a person of color. I mean, if, you know, if Beyonce or LeBron James walks in a room, I don't care how many, <laughs> how many racists are in the room. They're all going to be, oh my God, LeBron James is in the room. You know, they're going to be more impressed by that. So I was raised with the, with the mother who, you know, I, I that's what I saw, uh, people treat her more of a, in awe of her celebrity status than, than concerned about her color of her skin. Um, I can't, you know, again, I was born in Beverly Hills. My life was very different, no question about that. But as we talked about earlier, my mother made sure that I understood that Beverly Hills, California is not reality. That is not the world that we live in um, of, of most people. And that's why when she would leave, you know, and we would travel, even within our own, you know, even within Los Angeles County, um, she made sure that I saw that the way that I was brought into this world, what I was blessed to, you know, the lifestyle that I was blessed with, um, was, was truly that, just a blessing, and to treat it that way, and to be grateful, um, and to be understanding that, you know, my, that's not how most people get to live, um, and to treat people this with the same kindness, you know, to, regardless of, of everybody else, of how the world is, um. So I think that those, you know, those were really, really important uh, lessons that she showed me, you know, that, you know, just because you grew up in, in a certain bubble, uh, you have to be understanding that that, you know, and, and, and grateful for that world that you happen to be living in and, and be willing to, to reach out to others and to talk to people and embrace other cultures and other beliefs and other people within our own society. And I think that, you know, we're living in a world where either my mother was still alive today, she would say, you know, the world, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, we're still fighting over, you know, and, and, and hating each other uh, because of the color of skin. And I mean, I, I think that, you know, when you talk about this, you're, you're an educator. My mother was an educator. She felt everybody on some level would have the ability to be a teacher, even if it was only for a moment. Um, and we have the ability to, to, to make a difference in somebody else's life. And we should all try to do that, um, regardless of what, you know, that other person looks like. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't believe that there are people who, who, who talk to me and, and say to me, you know, you're, you can't, you know, you can't be her daughter because of how you look. And then there are people who want to know, you know, how do I associate? Do I associate as black? Do I associate as white? Um, Can know, I say I this? With, uh, I'm sorry. I'd love to ask you this. Have you ever seen the movie Imitation of Life? Yes, and, and my mother made can, me watch. My mother yeah. made me watch that movie numerous times. Yes. And I and I think what you're trying to, or what you're saying, and anyone that's in this room, if you have the time to really understand color, 
watch Imitation of Life, and then you'll be able to understand what Kit's talking about. Because it's a very deep thing to to be a person of color and, and pass for something else. Um, and I think it's beautifully what you're saying, because it's it's so it's such an issue within the community that we don't talk about. I think that movie, obviously I'm going to read your book and learn from you, but I think it's important that people understand what she's talking about because you do, when I look at you, you pass as a white woman, but because I'm a person of color and I'm biracial, I understand that you come out all different shades. Mm-hmm. And that's a brilliant, you know, brilliant movie. It's, it's hands down. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's really a mind opening. And I yeah. will tell you that when my family came here from Europe, you know, we, we landed in Georgia from, from, from Italy um, and we were introduced to the 1% rule, which I would, I've never, mm. my family couldn't understand what that is. And because um, my father's mixed, um, um, we're all Italian, but, you know, if you want to follow the blood, you know, we got split based on our color to go to school. So because I am lighter, I got to go to DeKalb County, but my brothers who were darker had to go to Gwinnett County. Um, and coming from Europe where we don't have, we don't even have this, con- this conversation doesn't even exist. Um, it was beyond difficult to understand in this new country what people were talking about. Um, so that, 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 what you're referring to, uh, Sean, is extremely powerful for somebody just to get a sense of understanding of, of what's happening. It's, re- it's, it's so amazing to me. I mean, you know, that we're, we're having this conversation parents had this conversation differently, unfortunately, you know, because there's, it was more obvious. Now it's not necessarily as obvious, but it's still there. Um, and I think, Sean, what you're saying is very clear. I mean, people, you know, the black community looks at me um, and there are some people that say, you know, oh, you think you're white, you know, and my mother would say, you don't think you're anything. You're just, you're a human being. I know that that sounds very simplistic and it, and it is. And I, and I think when I say that, it, you know, people would say, well, that's easy for you to say. And they're right. It is easy for me to say. It's, it's easier, obviously, for me to say, because I am treated differently. There's no question about that. Um, you know, I mean, I can, only, I can do my part, but I think it's having these conversations and, and what you're talking about and, and understanding is, so, is what's really, truly important to, to, because it, it's there. It's definitely there, whether it's, you know, I live in the Northeast. It's not as obvious, but it's here. No question about that. Um, and I think we need to continue these conversations. And that's why my, that's what my mother thought was really important. And that's why she loved bringing up to, you know con- subjects that, you know, like because to her, this was what you had to keep talking about. That's the only way we're going to be able to, to somehow get through this. And that's why kindness is. Yeah, no question. MK, would you like to jump in here? Yeah. Um. Wow, it's a pleasure to meet you, Kit. Kit. Pleasure, you, pleasure to meet you. you. And I hope that you nominate Janelle Monet one day to play your mom <laughs> on the big screen. How perfect would that be? I love oh, her. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. I hope. Um. I just wanted to, you know, I'm all about, you know, powerful initiatives. And I just want to point out one. I saw that your mom would bring tuxedos on tour with her. Just in case there wasn't enough black people in the audience, she would dress up the black staff at the venue in those tuxedos so they would be diversity in the audience. Where does that kind of love and inclusion come from 
when she was labeled as quote unquote the yellow gal, and I'm sure she experienced a, you know racism as a woman of color coming you know coming up in the south. But where no does question. this kind of love and inclusion come from? It takes so much strength. Where where did that come from? But I think you know so much of where she where she her belief system comes came from watching as as she would have said you know really observing nature and watching how nature has the ability to work in harmony, you know, the, the differences, the different species, the different, you know, uh, from plant species to animal species. And I think that's what she, she embraced the beauty of, of just nature. As we look at it from a simplistic perspective of color, of trees, of leaves, you know, my mother, of plantings, my mother would say, you know, that just makes everything so rich and, and, and incredible that you, that human beings are that too. We just need to, um, you know, to, to embrace that more. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, you know, that, that, that answer. I appreciate that. Kit, I want to make an observation, and I don't know if this is his question or what you're going to say to it, but it's important to me that I say this. You talk about your mom. You write about your mom. You never, I know, didn't really want the limelight. I want to thank you for stepping into the limelight. I want to make sure that you understand that you have become the teacher. And your feelings and your experiences equal or of equal importance to anything your mother has ever said or done. And I, I believe, she, based on what I've learned, I think your mom would agree. That this that you're shining as an individual, as Kit Shapiro, independent of being Eartha Kit's daughter, and I thank you for stepping up to do that. Well, I thank you for saying that, and I think you know my mother was um, my biggest fan. I'm an only child, so I guess she had no choice but to be my biggest fan. My mother was also an incredibly loving, loving parent, and I think that. She would say you can never love a child too much. And I think that love that she showed me, physically showed me, emotionally showed me, you know, verbally said to me, was what really, you know, I was so incredibly blessed. That to me is the biggest blessing that she gave me was was how much, knowing how much she loved me. And because of that, um, I feel it's really important to carry on who she was and through me and that I carry her name. And her legacy has become my legacy. And whatever I could leave on this planet with whether it's one person or a million people um, is would will be, you know, I hope kindness and love and respect uh, for each other. I love that. Can I just say this? Uh, I wanted to say you can't love the child without loving the mama. Um, it's important. I, right. I, I say right. this for uh, I say this for a lot of biracial kids that might have white mothers. Um, you can't love the child without loving the mama because they came from their mama, got their name from their mama. And that was a Tupac quote, by the way. <laughs> love it. I've got I love a question. It. I got a question that's coming in the back chat asking about your mother's visit to the White House. Yes. My mother, my mother was an incredibly outspoken uh, person. My mother felt that if you asked her her opinion, you actually wanted to hear it. Um, and that wasn't always the case. As was when she was invited to the White House by Lady Bird Johnson, and uh, for a luncheon with a group of women, and the question was, why is there so much juvenile delinquency in the streets of America? 
today, that was during the Vietnam War, and my mother was very outspoken against Vietnam War, and she felt that it was a, a war that wasn't supported by, uh, you know, our, by many in, in, in our country, especially the young people. This was during a time when our army was not a volunteer army. There was a draft. And so she didn't, you know, she was seeking out against the fact that you're, you know, you're, dra you're as my mother would say, you're dragging, you know, young people off um, to, you know, to give, to give their lives um, and that they, this is not a war they believe in. So she spoke out against it and unfortunately she was blacklisted and, her, you know, her career was, was very much affected in the United States. Uh, negatively affected because Johnson, uh, President Johnson, um, basically said, he, "I don't want to see that woman anywhere in this country." A high consequence to pay for an opinion, um, and uh, you know. But she would not have changed. She would not have done it differently, as she said. She would not have made it to ever, ever have done, uh, you know, gone back and, and done that di differently because she really felt that you always, if you speak your own truth and from your heart. You're never go. you know, it's never a mistake. Amen to that. Randy, did you have something else that you were going to say? I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I just, but let's not forget about the book, Artha and Pitt, <laughs> A Daughter's Love Story in Black and White. And I believe, Amelia, aren't we giving away some copies of the book? Book, and we will happily give them away. You just need to kind of go through uh, my Instagram um, and it will send me over and just uh, please just put kit. And uh, I, I think we purchased five copies. I don't know off the top of my head and we're going to definitely give those away. So they no, go through, you, to, you cut out a little bit. So they go through the, can you repeat it? Cause you, I lost a little bit of that. Yeah. They just go through my Instagram and just DM me the word kit. Then the first five people who do that, um, they will pull that and then mail out the books. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, thank you for that. Oh, that's our pleasure. I, it's it's really, truly been um, just, an, just an honor. And, and I agree with what Randy said. I lost my dad as well during uh, this COVID, which was, you know, mm -hmm. it's a horrible time to leave, lose a parent and then lose a parent and not be able to see them. And so I think that, you know, what you've done is really, really set in a very, very uh, creative but very meaningful way to represent your mother. Um, and... Uh, and it's and so unique, like just you know, I, I just so so uniquely done. So uh, kudos to you. Um, you. Just you know, you've got a just a beautiful mind and and such a so many of the qualities that are needed today. You know, are not wanted, needed today. Uh, you exemplify, and so it's really really been an honor for me. Um, and Randy, I just want to want to thank you for that. And again, um, you know, you everybody sees Kit Little Party Hat. She's brand new to Clubhouse, so please, you know, <laughs> click on her, follow her. You know, you know, take the extra steps to support. You know, this is how, um, you know, this is how creatives get to be able to be seen, heard, recognized, and valued. Is we have to be able to lean in and put our energy and resources underneath them. So, you know, together we rise in our genius. I say that all the time. Um, and I just think, uh, I think just, it's, it's just, we're so fortunate to be able to have such a meaningful conversation, um, as adults to just be open-minded, to just, you know, live and learn. I, I thank you so much for, for your words. That's really means a lot to me. And, and my mother, I think would be really thrilled with this conversation we've had this morning. Um, I, I, I truly say, you know, time and time again, um, I was, I continued to be, I was incredibly blessed to have this woman as my mother and blessings are meant to be shared. And that is what I am trying to do. 
Well, I can't take any credit. It's actually Miss Sarah McCord and Mr. Glenn Lundy um, who've created Breakfast with Champions, you know, to be a space that is actually um, a seat, a table for everybody. Um, inclusivity is something that is part of their core values. Um, and um, I'm just I'm just happy and grateful that I take can participate credit, in that. Take some credit, Amelia. Take some credit. Take some credit, girl. Bring all these great <laughs> guests every week. Take some credit. <laughs> She's uh, she's just brilliant. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we have to have conversations. You know, when we talk, we learn. And when we learn, we grow. And when we grow, we can show up in a better version of ourselves. And it's really not as difficult as people like to make it. But when we cut off the flow by being defensive or being negative or being judgmental and all that that negative space, you're really, really just you're hurting yourself. You're taking, you know, the the massive flavor and wisdom of the world and removing yourself from it because you cut the conversation off. Um, and it's it, it's okay. just it's fascinating that we just don't teach uh, the art of communication anymore. And no, now I have to cut with, with social media. We're, we're really, you know, the art of communication is is as you mentioned earlier become sound bites. And unfortunately, some of those sound bites are not always nice. And I think that that we I would really like to see us get past that and get into you know really tomorrow is. Uh, National Kindness Day, and let's you know, let's start early, and let's always continue to be kind to our east, to ourselves, and to one another. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.